Let us pray. Father, thank you for uh, your grace to us. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and giving us conviction to believe the truth despite what we're going through. Thank you, God, for the joy we have in your presence as a foretaste to what we will experience forever when we see you face to face. Father, we ask that you bless our time in the word right now and that you would uh, be glorified as we hear what you're saying in your word. Amen. When was the last time you cried? I don't mean uh, when you laugh so hard that tears came out of your eyes, uh, nor do I mean when you wept during that uh, touching movie you recently watched. And nor do I mean when you cried because the hammer in your hand mistook your thumb for the nail. The kind of crying I mean is that deep, almost involuntary response to emotional pain that leaves a person bereft. Now, I do not want to stir up memories uh, of anything you've recently experienced. But in order for us to approach today's text, we need to be prepared to lift the lid on weeping so that we can glance into some of the nature of Jesus, our Savior and the Lord. Have you thought about this? When did, when did God cry? I don't mean when the Father turned his face away from Jesus as he suffered in amazing and agonizing pain and died for our sin. I cannot fathom what the Father felt. Nor do I mean when Jesus prayed in the garden on the eve of his arrest, when he said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Nor do I mean when Jesus drew near Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and wept, lamented over the city as he foresaw the future of pain and suffering that he would face one day. The cry to which I want to highlight today was the pain Jesus expressed over the death of a friend, over the death of Lazarus. Most people, even remotely familiar with the stories of the Bible, know about Lazarus and the astonishing way that Jesus raised him back to life, even though he'd been dead for four days. What at times can be overlooked is that though Jesus is fully God, he also reacted in a very human way. And he wept over the death of a friend and over the pain of those who also wept because they loved Lazarus. But even more profoundly, he wept over the carnage of sin and death and unbelief. Now, we're looking at John 11 this morning, so you want to turn your Bibles to that whether on your phone or in the pew Bible before you, or perhaps you're really old school when you bring actually a paper Bible with you. But I'm reading from verse 28. Jesus has arrived outside of the village of Bethany. And so Martha, in verse 28, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, when Mary heard it, 
she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She just lost Lazarus, her brother, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And the text simply says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? During our brief time together this morning, I want to ask the question that some of you may have asked. This question may have come into your mind if you read this passage in the past. And the question is, why did Jesus weep? If he knew, as God, that he would bring Lazarus back to life, why weep at all? Now, as we explore this text, we'll begin to peer into the very nature of God and discover both his divine nature and his human nature as the unrivaled, perfect, new Adam. We'll start with the divine nature of Jesus in this text. It's first seen in verses 1 to 6 as the glory of God. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was this Mary who anointed the Lord with oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that is to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now it continues, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Jesus clearly knew what would happen with Lazarus. He knew that what was going to happen would not end in the finality of physical death, but lead directly to the glory, the renown, the praise of the Father, and that Jesus himself would be glorified through this event. Notice in this verse how Jesus equates glory of the Father with glory of the Son. He is God. Notice also in verse 5 that despite loving Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, Jesus delayed two days before he left. Normally, upon hearing such news, you would rush as fast as you can to visit the person before they died. You wouldn't tarry, you wouldn't wait, but Jesus waited because he had a purpose in mind. It seems strange, an uncaring response, unless Jesus knew something the others did not, as he intimated in his response to his disciples. This is for God's glory. Jesus already knew what he was going to do in Bethany. He would be glorified and display God's glory. 
He is fully God. He also has complete foreknowledge. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. In verses 11 to 15, after saying these things, Jesus said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, well, Lord, if, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking a rest in sleep. But then Jesus clearly told me, plainly told them, Jesus, uh, Lazarus has died. He wasn't there. How could he know that? Because he's God. He knew Lazarus was dead. And he further says, and for your sake, my disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Now he says, let's go to him. Let's go to him. You don't go to a corpse. You go to somebody who's alive. Notice here Jesus plainly says, Lazarus has already died. The result of not being there would be belief in him as God. There was a clear purpose for his delay. It was to be far more than raising Lazarus from the dead. Something else is going on here. This begins to unfold when he nears the town of Bethany and Martha meets him with a question that her sister asks and later that some of the Jews asked. This question was asked three times in the text. In verses 21 to 27, Martha left the village, quietly saw Jesus who hadn't entered yet. She came to him and she said, Lord, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. Have we heard that before? Mary asked the same question. We'll ask it actually later on. But even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Imagine your brother or sister or loved one has just passed away. You're talking to someone who you believe is the Messiah. And he tells you your loved one will live again, will rise again. What would that do to you? How to make it feel? It should be an astonishing feeling. And Martha says, well, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she says, I believe, it means I have believed, I am believing, and I will believe. I always believe this. The divine nature here is clearly seen, as stated by Martha. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. What a bold claim to make, unless you're God. And how could you back that claim up? Well, we see what happens because Jesus demonstrates the truth of his words by what happens next. Now, Martha expressed belief in Jesus before Lazarus was laid or raised up. He was still in the grave. She didn't know what Jesus was going to do, but she says, I believe. I believe you are the coming Messiah. I don't believe because Lazarus later on is going to be raised. I believe because you've given me conviction to know that's the truth. And so we come to what we all know about the story. Lazarus is raised. 
Only God has power over death. In verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone that was covering the tomb. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, you know, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people who are around me, that they may also believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out and his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Astonishing. With a boldness possessed only of God, Jesus commands the stone to be moved. Can you imagine days after a funeral for a loved one, as you're at the grave site, remembering and mourning, somebody comes and says, let's dig up the grave. Open the casket. It would be highly insensitive and cruel to do such a thing unless you're Jesus who commands it. As we know, Jesus called Lazarus forth back to life in front of many witnesses who must have been astonished. We didn't expect this. And suddenly all the weeping, all the mourning, all the wailing, all the crying stopped. Replaced with astonishment, with amazement, with utter cries of joy and praise. From cries of mourning to cries of praise. But look at how the people responded. Some responded with belief. They saw it, they believed. Many of the Jews in verse 45, therefore, uh, who had come with Mary and had, been, had seen what he did, believed in him. Many of the Jews believed. We know Lazarus died, we've come to mourn him, and now he's alive. Who is this Jesus? We have to believe in him. The glory of God has been openly displayed just as Jesus had prophesied. And the result, many of the Jews believed in him, but not all. You wonder how you not could believe after seeing this. There's willful disbelief out there. In verses 46 to 48, it says, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together, talked among themselves, and they said, what are we going to do? This man is performing many signs. We don't deny that. But if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. We fear this man, even though he's the Messiah, even though we're supposed to be expecting him and preaching him. Yet they feared the presence of Jesus. The divinity of Christ demonstrated publicly by raising Lazarus, was met not with faith, but with fear. The chief priests and Pharisees knew that he performed miracles. That's obvious. Who can deny that? But they were afraid of losing their own place, their own position, fearing what Rome would do. Even though in their own theology, the Messiah would come and rid the world of pain and suffering and rule the world, did they really believe the Messiah? 
It is clear that Jesus was the Son of God, demonstrating glory and foreknowledge, being the very source of eternal life, and raising a person back from dead to life. This is familiar to us. Hopefully it is. What is less familiar, what is less clear, because it's overshadowed by the magnitude of this event, is the fact that Jesus is also human. He also experienced what was going on. This is the second part of our time together, the human nature of Jesus, the personal connections. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. We're going to enter now a little bit of a discussion about what these words mean. Uh, because Jesus wept is a very, um, very light way of saying what was going on. I'll put it that way. It says he was deeply moved in the spirit. It means he groaned in the spirit. A deep pain inside of him when he saw what was happening around him. And greatly troubled. That is better translated as angry. Indignant. Beasley Murray in his commentary says, this is the strongest statement in the Gospels of an emotion Jesus expressed. Right here. Greatly troubled. Angry. Indignant. Why did Jesus weep? Because he was a human being. But more than that, when he saw Mary and Martha and all the people there mourning and in grief, Their pain deeply moved him in his spirit, and he was angry. How do you feel when you see the pain of others? It hurts to see those we love and care for suffering in pain. But the pain he saw was real, and that pain touched his heart. But it's more than this, and this is a point I wanted to make. Jesus was angry over the havoc that sin and death had wrought upon people. This was not the garden. This is why Jesus came, to change all of that. The author of life is standing there, the one who is the source of all life, and he sees this mourning and this death and the pain that's causing, and he's angry. Have you been angry? You've lost a loved one, and you're saying, Lord, I'm angry. Why did the person die? Or I'm angry what I see in the world with the suffering needlessly around the world. That makes me angry, Lord. Well, if it does, so is Jesus. But it's not an anger for revenge. It's an anger because of a sadness. I've come to save the world. And these people around me don't even know who I am. Only Martha, only a few would know who I am, my disciples yet they're going to see what I am going to do. Many of us attended funerals for brothers and sisters who died in the faith. We know that they're going to go to be with the Lord. We know this. We believe it. We'll know, we all know we're going to see them again one day. It gives us comfort. We know that the day is coming when we will all receive resurrected bodies and be together with the Lord forever. Yet, we still weep for their loss. Why? 
because it's painful. We still grieve and mourn because we're made in the image of God. And he wept when Lazarus had died. And we can be angry over death itself, just as Jesus was. That's the pain of others. What about Jesus' personal pain? This is more of a challenge for me because I don't know what Jesus was feeling. We just have the text to go on. And here's where we come with this word, Jesus wept. In verse 34 to 36, it says, And he said, Jesus said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. The idea that's translated as wept is not the same word that is used of Mary and the Jews who wept. That's crying out. What this word means is that Jesus burst into tears. I don't know about you, but I don't think of Jesus bursting into tears. It's a different kind of image that we get. But the Greek word is very clear. He shed tears. He burst into tears. And the Jews respond by saying, oh, look, we can see how he loved him because of the emotion that he's expressing. Now, don't be tempted to think that Jesus was only moved by the pain and grief of others, just as we are. He also felt a deep personal pain. At the grave where his friend died, Jesus burst into tears. And those around him knew that Jesus deeply loved his friend Lazarus. But what they didn't know, and what we miss by seeing the word weep in our text, is that this is far more than weeping for Lazarus. It really isn't about Lazarus. Jesus is shedding tears, bursting into tears, because it deeper reflects a response, his response, to the tragedy of human suffering. The only rescue, the only recourse to this event is he himself, and he's there. It's, it's hard to get your mind around, but this is God himself, the word of God incarnate, who's come to die for each one of you and for billions of others. And he sees this death and suffering and this mourning, and it bothers him because he's come to change that. It's not the way things are to be, but it's the way things are. And I'm going to change that R to a different reality. And in verse 38, death itself, Jesus says, deeply moved again, deeply angry and indignant again, he came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid against it, and we know what happened. He commanded Lazarus to come to life. But he would die again. John again tells us that before resurrecting Lazarus, Jesus was deeply grieved, angry in his heart as he approached the tomb. The odor of decay would have flooded out as soon as the rock was moved. The reality of death would have been all too cruel and real. As a human, Jesus mourned the results of sin leading to death. For surely Lazarus was a sinner, just like each of us. So underneath the power and glory of the Son of God was a very human response for the pain that death brings. Anger at death itself and tears over those who remained in disbelief, who chose death over life. Now, as with his divinity, the people reacted differently to Jesus' humanity. 
when Jesus had burst into tears, the Jews around him said, look, see how he must have loved Lazarus. It's an expression of, of empathy and compassion. Yet others were cynical. Some of them in verse 37 said, okay, he's bursting into tears. Could not he open the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? That's the third time this question was said or asked. And it was asked in this case as a cynical, vicious way of condemning Christ for not being there. The sentiment expressed by some was that, Jesus, if you really love Lazarus, then why weren't you here to stop him from dying? This is after he rose him from the grave. Jesus, prove your love. And a few months later, Lazarus is raised. As we have seen, Jesus is fully God and fully human. And this is all wonderful to know. But without faith to obey Christ, it just remains information, an interesting thing to talk about on a Sunday morning. Before Jesus left for Bethany, the village of Lazarus, he told his disciples that this is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And later on, he repeated it. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. See, the question never was only, why did Jesus burst into tears? The question has always been, is Jesus your God and your friend? Are you weeping with Jesus over the sin and condemnation and cruelty in our world? death in our world? Are you weeping over those who refuse Jesus? Who simply refuse to come to him, even though they know the truth, they reject him. That should cause us to weep. We're not Jesus, I'm not Jesus. I don't burst into tears when my friend doesn't come to faith, but maybe I should, because the consequences for that person are incredibly bad. Is Jesus your God and your friend? Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, he asked her. And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. As fully God, he calls us to faith and to everlasting life in him. After raising Lazarus, Jesus would go on to his own suffering, his own death, as the human sacrifice, the Lamb of God for us. What Lazarus experienced, he would experience even more. And through his death, destroy sin and death. And in his resurrection, be made alive so we too could be made alive. And a time will come where there'll be no more weeping, no more mourning, no more grief. A time of incredible joy that we can't even fathom the depth of. Now I pray this morning that you have the faith that was expressed by Martha. That you can say, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now even if there are people who reject Jesus and choose to disbelieve, he is still the Savior and the Lord. Their belief or disbelief doesn't change that fact of reality. He's still God, but he'll never be your friend. 
Yes, Jesus is the Savior, and amazingly, he also becomes our closest friend who understands us as no one can. He cares for you as a person and as an individual. And in his love, Jesus calls you his friend. Not just Lord and Savior, but we now have a relationship. In Hebrews 4, and we're coming to a close now, it says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. No matter where you are right now, if you are in mourning, in pain, in the darkness of depression, or perhaps you simply feel overwhelmed by relationships and life and work and everything else, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Do you believe that? Do you know that? What's inside of me, it's not a secret to Jesus. He knows that. In fact, he's experienced it. He's already known your pain personally. Not just know about it, but he was here and he experienced it. So in these times, don't push Christ away. In bitterness or disappointment, don't push him away. Mary and Martha didn't. They clung to Jesus in their pain and put their hope and faith in him. We're called to make the same decision. Let's pray. Jesus, you are more amazing and wondrous than we could ever imagine. We believe in you, Lord. We worship you. You are our Savior and our Lord. You are our friend. You have drawn us and called us to be the beloved. You have given your life for us. You know exactly how we feel, Lord. And we thank you for the comfort that you have included this in your holy word that we can read and find strength in our time of need, knowing, Jesus, that you are with us and you see us and you draw us into your strength that we might live for you and rejoice in you. In your name, Jesus, we give you glory and honor. Amen.